So the topic I was giving what, given was uh, balancing ministry and family life. And, and what's funny is uh, when Miriam gave me that topic, it was just shortly after this story that I'm going to tell you. So my husband and I have some very, very dear friends in ministry. We've been friends since the first week my oldest was born, um, and the wife found out she was expecting her first. So um, at the time, my husband was in his first year of seminary up in Grand Rapids, and um, he was in class during the day and would work second shift, and then, you know, we would... I'd see him a little bit in the morning, I guess. It was that, you know, we all kind of go through that period when your husband's in school and it's a little rough. So same for her. Her husband was in school during the day. He was working second shift. And so she um, introduced herself to me, and she said, hey, both of our husbands are in school and working. Um, let's be friends. I thought, well, that sounds great. <laughs> second shift, it's really hard when your husband's gone second shift. That's like the, the worst time, actually. You don't really, you can't go anywhere. You can't do anything. So she and I would take walks every day. We got really, really close, and she said, you know, we're really good friends. I think our husbands would really like to be friends, too. We, we need to get them together, and I thought, okay, let's do that. So we, we get together for dinner, and, and I bring Chad, and we go to Nathan and Cheyenne's house, and, and lo and behold, what we didn't realize is they had already become friends at school. They would meet for coffee in the morning and go to class together in the morning, and so they were hoping that their wives would get to know each other, and here they already had. So we were ready built. Um, meant to be friends. So we've been friends for 17 years. Um, and in the past probably six years, um, we've made a concerted effort to get together about once a year for what we call uh, a Sabbath weekend. So it's, it's a restful time, but it's also a time to sort of focus on a specific thing that we're struggling with. Um, in the past, we had gone to a cabin with some other pastor couples um, and we would, you know, maybe work through Psalm 23, whatever. But it was just a, a good time of like, just working through what you're uh, going through, lifting each other up, encouraging each other. Well, the place that we would normally go had um, sold, and it wasn't available anymore. And uh, Nathan was like, I still want to get together. I still want to get together. Let's figure out something. And they live up in Michigan. We're down in Illinois and just trying to figure out somewhere we can meet. And he said, how about this? How about we come to you? Uh, we'll drive all the way to you if you guys want to do that. And so they gave their kids to Grandma. We farmed our kids out to some, some church families so that we could be alone for the weekend and um, he said, but I, I still, there's some things that I'm struggling with. There's some things I want to talk to some people about. And again, Central Illinois region, special region. So Chad said, I've got some great pastor friends here. We'll, we'll invite them over for dinner and we'll, we'll kind of pepper them with questions. And so we had these two seasoned <laughs> pastors and their wives um, come to our house for dinner. Uh, they've both been at their churches for almost, I think, uh, 35 and 40 years. So we felt pretty safe asking them some questions, and so we have dinner, and, and we sit down for the, you know, coffee and dessert, we're ready, we're past the chit-chat now, like it's time to get down to business, and the very first thing Nathan says, and they've got kids the same age as us, so they've got, you know, high school down to elementary school, and he says, how do we balance family life and ministry, and those two couples kind of looked at each other, and they laughed, and they said, you don't, and we were just like, wait, why, you don't? And we, we ended up having just this great conversation of you don't balance it, but you make the best choices that you can. Here's some of the choices that we made that worked. Here's some things that we wish we would have done, done different. And it was just, it was this fantastic conversation. But I thought it was hilarious that Miriam's like, why don't you talk about balance and family and ministry? And I'm like, but the professionals said you can't do that. You know, so, so what do we do? What do we do when we've asked the question? There's no hard and fast rule. There's no 10 steps to guarantee that this is going to work. That's what I function like that. I want someone to tell me, 
here's the parenting rules that you follow, here's the ministry rules that you follow, and everything's going to be okay. I, that, there isn't such a thing. I, I wish there was. So then, do we give up? Do we decide, well, no one's going to be happy. Let's just choose who's going to be unhappy today. That, that can't be the answer either. That's not, that can't be what God intends for us to do. So I find there's two sort of extremes that pastor's wives camp in. Uh, the first one is, the first extreme is, we're at church all the time. Every time the doors are open, 20, available 24-7, we'll do all things for all people. Um, you know, if, if you need us, we're there, tw- you know, just, I don't know what you would call it, like a quick stop. We're available for everything all the time. That is not good for your family, and honestly, that's not good for the church either. You, 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 can't, you can't just do all things for all people. Number one, you're not going to make everybody happy. But number two, you've got to leave room for them to serve as well. My husband got a couple of texts on Sunday morning because we left early to, to come out here. And, um, I said, did you answer them? And he said, no, I didn't answer them. So there's probably five people in that building that can answer that question. It was just easier to ask the pastor instead of going to find So he's like, we'll just teach him to solve the problem themselves. And I'm like, good job, honey. Like, way to not to, you know, just, just take that one over. The other camp that I see, um, and so I mostly see it with uh, young, young moms, but it's um, family first, I'm unavailable for all church things. Um, they hired him. They didn't hire me. Uh, that's his job. I don't need to be there. That, and I'm talking extremes here. So uh, that's obviously not good for the church, and that's really unhealthy for your family as well. That's you're, you're unintentionally teaching the kids that church is the enemy. We don't want that. Pastors' kids have enough trouble. Let's not let's not make it harder for them. So unfortunately, we don't have a specific passage in scripture that says pastors wives do these things and all will be well nice as that would be but the beauty of scripture is that this is a book about god it's not about me and i love that pastor wood was saying stop looking at this like it's about you it's not it's about god so if we look and see who god is we're we're better able to sort of navigate through these difficulties so let's see we're going to sort of build up here uh to the end And, and i'll pepper in some practical tips that worked for me but uh, we'll, we'll see how that works. I'm only to, we are, we're all in different seasons of life, and I just told you mine. I've got the senior in high school, the middle schooler, and, and the elementary school girl who, she's almost 11, and we had the fight this morning about what you're going to wear today. I have nothing to wear. I'm like, you picked out all these clothes that we packed. I don't understand how you sit. So I didn't know we were there yet, but we're there. <laughs> so I'm going to start in Acts chapter 8. Uh, verse 26, and this is a familiar passage to a lot of you. It's with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. So I'll read this for you. I'm going to read out of the ESV. You guys can just follow along if you want. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there, there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, the court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep he was led to slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. And his humiliation, justice was this was denied him who can describe his generation. For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this is about himself or about someone else? And Philip opened his mouth and began with this scripture. He told him the good news about Jesus. 
And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. And then Philip gets taken up to the next place. So, Here's the, the context of this in the book of Acts, which is our, our history of the early church here. This is immediately following the stoning of Stephen. So the believers have scattered. Um, it says in verse 3 of chapter 8, Paul is ravaging the church. This is, this is a, a, a scary, scary time for the early church. Only the apostles have stayed in Jerusalem. Um, but at this point, Philip has sort of moved on to Samaria. So that's, that's where this story starts. So we've got a specific place where he's told to go. And it says right there in verse 26, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go to the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. That's sort of like someone saying, you wake up tomorrow and an angel said, uh, go to the blue house down the farm road, out by the corn. You know what? Just a very descriptive location, right? So he needs to go south to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. And it's a desert place, just a very specific place he wants him to go. Verse 27, there's a very specific person he wants him to talk to. There just happened to be an Ethiopian. He's a eunuch, a court official, queen of, the, of, of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of all her treasures. So he's an Ethiopian eunuch, high-ranking in the government. And there's a specific time. They're very clear on what's happening here. The Ethiopian is on his um, way from Jerusalem, on his way to Jerusalem to worship. He's returning um, in his chariot, just so happens to be reading a very particular portion of scripture. So he's reading the book of Isaiah, happens to be about Christ, because of where he's coming from, and what he's reading, it's the perfect opportunity for Philip to share the gospel, right? He, I mean, he, he says, what does this mean? Who is this about? Um, so they also, after he's able to share the gospel with him, there just so happens to be a river. I mean, there, that's a lot of coincidences here, right? They tell him where to go and who to talk to and what's going to happen, and there's the river, and the guy looks over and he's like, well, you told me about this Jesus. I believe that. Can we, can we do the whole baptism thing? And Philip's like, sure, let's do that. Um, and the takeaway here is God has each of us where he wants us, with the people he wants us with, at the time he wants us there. So, And I'm not just talking physical location. Obviously, he has us in the physical location that he wants us to be at. Wherever our husband is right now, that's where we are. The people in our church, as much as we'd like to uh, make the difficult ones find another church, <laughs> they found ours. That's fine. That's that's who God wants there. And and he has us there during whatever season of life we're in. Oftentimes I hear um, people say, oh, if only my kids weren't so small, or if only my kids weren't this age, or if only I didn't have to travel out of town to help my mother, or whatever. There's different seasons of life that we feel like are pulling away from the ministry that we have. That's not the case. Um, the season that we're in is not an afterthought or an accident. It's intentional. Okay, we are where God wants us to be. Um, what would be fantastic is if it still worked in a way where an angel is there when we wake up in the morning and tells us exactly what our task would be for the day. So God doesn't necessarily work like that anymore. I do have an example of how God does put you in a particular place for a particular time. We had a missions trip at our church a couple weeks ago to New York, um, and the first portion of the trip was preparing a camp for summer camp. Uh, the last two days were open-air evangelism in New York City. I There are certain things I really, really enjoy doing when it comes to ministry. Um, open-air evangelism, not one of them. Even saying the words is making my heart pound really hard. 
That is not my thing. However, my 13-year-old son, when they said Open Air Evangelism New York City, signed up, didn't even tell us he wanted to go. We saw his name on the sign-up sheet for the mission trip, and I'm like, Chad, he is not going to New York City without us, with one of us, meaning, Chad, you're going to New York City. <laughs> and Chad's like, I guess you're going to have to go to New York City. I'm like, I don't do open-air evangelism. Chad's like, I can't go, and we're, we're not telling our son, sorry, mommy doesn't like it, we're not going to go. So I signed up, first half of the week was fantastic, I love, we'll get to this later, but I love doing what people tell me to do. So when we got to the camp, they were like, here's your to-do list. And I was like, give it to me. I will, I will do that. Um, we got to New York City, uh, got to the church that we were working with, uh, went to talk to the person that was taking us into Times Square of all places, not some peaceful park, <laughs> busiest place in the city. Said, um, here's what's going to happen. We're going to go in. I'm going to tell, I've got my board. I'm going to tell the story. It's going to lead to the gospel. When I'm done, I'll say, if you'd like to hear more, please come take one of these tracks or talk to one of my friends. We're one of the friends. I thought, you know what? I can do that because that person is saying, I want to hear about Jesus. I've got no problem with that. Come to me. I will tell you. I can tell you guys the gospel right now. I can sit in our local coffee shop with anybody in town and tell them the gospel, mostly because they know I'm the pastor's wife, and that kind of gives you like a free pass. They expect you to share the gospel with them. So I'll do that. That's fine. But for some reason, walking up to a stranger just terrifies me. So I thought, okay, I like the way he's, he's doing this. I can handle this. So we get to Times Square, and he looks around a little bit, and he says, you know what? It's really busy. I don't think that's going to work. Take these tracks and go, go share the gospel. And he, like, left us. And I just looked at Henry with horror, like, oh, this is not the plan. This, I, I don't know what I'm going to do now. And I'm like, Henry, what do we do? And Henry's done. Our church does, um, they don't call it open-air evangelism, but they'll go out with the intent to share the gospel with people in town. And uh, the person that leads that at our church calls them gospel conversations. So they'll go out and they'll have gospel conversations. And Henry's done that a couple times. I'm like, Henry, what do we do? So I'm here I am, 41 years old, asking my 13-year-old, what are we sure <laughs> So he's like, come on, Mom, it's no big deal. Like, this is what we'll do. And uh, he said, that couple looks nice. Let's go talk to them. So we go find this couple. We're talking to them. They were super friendly. And the conversation was like, you could feel it. It was just about to get there. And they're like, well, we're off to see a play. We've got to go. And they left. And I thought, oh, i got to move faster next time. i got to get on task a little bit better. So then we're looking around, and there's people taking pictures. Um, uh, and they do, like, the husband would take a picture of the wife, and the wife would take a picture of the husband. And I said, what if we just ask people if we could take pictures for them? Then that would start a conversation. Except nobody speaks English. They're all from other countries, like tourists. So we had, like, Eastern Europeans, and we had, um, you know, Latinos, and we had, um, I think there was some from uh, the Middle East. I mean, everything. I thought, this is, like, a failure. And we were only there for about an hour and a half. We had, like, 20 minutes left, and I'm almost in tears. And I'm like, Henry, I am so sorry if I am disappointing you. Like, I don't know what to do. I just, this is not my thing. This is, it doesn't feel natural to me at all. And he's like, it's okay, Mom. It'll be fine. And so this man approaches us, and I, he was trying to sell us something, which is not uncommon. Everybody's trying to sell you something in, in Times Square. He stops, like, his sales pitch, and he looks at me, and he goes, are you holding a gospel track in your hand? Who called with that, first of all? And he goes, I said, yes. And he said, will you share that with me? <laughs> and I was like, I sure will. <laughs> so I opened up, and it was a really good track, and it had, I mean, it had great scriptures in it, and it was just like the gospel. And he's like, I grew up in church, um, but I don't know that I've heard it like this. And, and Henry's just like, this is awesome. 
but we get all the way to the end, and he said, I'd really like to think about it. Can I keep this? And I was like, you sure can, and thank you so much for talking to me. And so he left, and we went back, but I thought, isn't that the craziest thing? It's like God knew that I would just, if he would have put a hole in the ground, I would have just gone right into it. But instead, the Lord was like, let me help you out. Let me just, here you go. So like, I, sometimes he does that. Not always, but sometimes. Uh, more of a practical, everyday thing. When we were at our first church, I had littles. Um, my oldest was two when we started there, and then I had two more babies while we were there. So my ministry at our previous church is very different from our ministry now. Um, because you do, you minister to the people that you have in the place that you are, right? With the gifts that you have. So um, the, the first church we were at, since I had littles and it was a small church, uh, there was my kid in the nursery, so guess who worked in the nursery? You know, and that's just what you do. So um, I'm in the nursery, but as, as I'm sure many of you have learned, if you're at a small church, uh, babies bring more babies. That just happens to be, and I thought it's kind of a good outreach anyway if you're new to a church and it's the pastor's wife in the nursery. They feel a little better handing their child over to you. But there was, when I had my second one, um, there was more of a baby boom at that time. So one of the other girls in church had a baby at the same time. And this baby, her name's Tally, she had colic. And I'm not talking like a little bit of colic. This child, if she was not sleeping, she was screaming. It was, you could hear them get out of the car in the parking lot and come to the church. Do you know how hard it was to find nursery workers to take a colicky baby? People would scratch their name off the list, like not a Tally's coming. I'm not, I'm not doing that. And it got to the point where I was like, guys... We are going to take that baby, and we are not going to page her under any circumstances whatsoever. You let that mom sit in that service for two hours, you do not bug her. And they're like, I mean, we would be sweating in the nursery because this baby's just screaming. And I'm like, I don't care if you walk her around the church, if you take her outside, take her to my house. So if the person is just right next to her, I don't care. Do not bother her mother. And that ministry to her mother became critical. Her mom would come in, and I mean, she'd come come in the draggle when she walks in the door. She would come to pick her up and just be smiling. Thanks, ladies. You know, it's like she could take another week of, of screaming, you know? And what the ironic thing is, um, this, this child is 13 now, and she is shy and quiet and never speaks. And we're like, well, you got it all out when you were a baby. There's nothing left. So um, at our church currently, my kids are different ages. There's different things I can do. I'm able to teach adults now. We did. 20 years to do that, but I'm able to teach adults instead of being in the classes that my kids are in and just kind of following them off the path. Um, I'm able to counsel some ladies, which is great. I can say to my oldest, hey, I've got a counseling appointment this afternoon. Can you keep an eye on your brother and sister? And he'll be like, for a cheeseburger. I'm like, all right. So go, you know, go meet with a lady. Stop taking shake on the way home. We're good to go. So the thing is, you, you do what you can. Uh, you know, where you are and, and what you can do. I wish I was in the season. I was studying a little bit, reviewing my notes last night. And I had headphones in with the volume up all the way because my daughter's watching cartoons. And I thought, boy, I wish I was in the season where I didn't have to study with headphones in. My house is loud. So when I'm studying for Sunday school, it's kind of the same way. I got those headphones cranked up all the way. Um, the next uh, section I wanted to look at or the next passage I wanted to look at was First Peter 4, 10 and 11. And that says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So we're in the place that God wants us in the season that we're in. 
with the gifts and the talents that he's given us. And I love that this passage doesn't list all the spiritual gifts where we're doing that internal struggle of, I don't know what my giftedness is. I'm not really sure what God wants me to do. And he gives us two really clear places that we all are, are doing. It's when we speak and when we serve. No matter what that looks like, whether you're speaking to a Sunday school class or if you're speaking one-on-one to somebody in your church, um, or you know, if you are uh, serving in the nursery, or if you're serving by planning all of VBS, God bless you if that's something that you do. That's not, I can't plan things like that. But um, context of this passage, this letter is to scattered believers. So when we were reading that passage in Acts, that was right after everybody scattered. So now uh, Peter's talking to the, the people that have been scattered. The, the purpose of the book of 1 Peter is to give hope in suffering. I assume if you're here, you're maybe not necessarily suffering, but you're struggling a little bit. Um, or you're my friend and you just want to give me some encouragement, which I appreciate that as well. <laughs> but um, the, the, the context of, of this, this piece is to give hope in suffering. So first of all, we need to be good stewards of God's grace as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. This is grace we already are experiencing through our faith in Christ. This isn't like, oh Lord, give me your grace. If you're saved, you've already got it. This isn't, we're not hunting for this. This is something we've already got. Now you need to be a good steward of it, right? We need to share that with others. So these gifts that we've been given, says right here, they're for one another. They're for sharing. We're supposed to be reaching out, giving them to other people, okay? So where you are, make sure that you're, you're being a good steward of this grace. Um, the two examples he gives are to speak and to serve. So when you speak, we want to conform what we say to the word of God. That means do not get up on your soapbox and share how you feel about certain things. I've seen, I think it was Miriam the other day said, I didn't want to tank my husband's ministry. I do that all the time. I say that. I don't tank his ministry all the time. I ask my husband all the time. Let me rephrase that. I say, am I doing okay? This isn't going to get you fired, is it? And I'm, I'm just kidding. Like, I say that to him all the time, though. If I'm going to try something and I haven't done, done it before, hopefully this doesn't get you fired. But, um, and I had him read my notes, too. I'm like, there's no heresy in here, right? Like, just, <laughs> just want to make sure. So you want to conform what you say to the Word of God. I have seen pastor's wives who have a soapbox that doesn't have anything to do with Scripture, doesn't have anything to do with the church, just has to do with something they feel very passionate about, and they will fight you, they will die on that hill. Don't do that. Don't, don't alienate someone from the gospel because of something that you feel very strongly about. We want to conform our words um, and speak the Word of God. Okay. Um, we also want to serve with the strength that God supplies. I want to be very careful and say, and I think we're going to talk about this a little bit, use the gifts that you have. Sometimes in smaller churches, you've got to do things that you're not gifted for in any way whatsoever, but the Lord said do it anyway. That's Go ahead and do that, but do it with the strength that God supplies. Okay, You're not going to say, this is the ministry that I'm going to do because this is the thing that I do and this is all I do. I mean, yeah, definitely use your gift but make sure that you're doing anything that the Lord asks you to do, and he's going to give you the strength to do that, um, including dealing with difficult people. I think that's the number one thing that we can all be on the same page about. I don't think any of us has a church full of, like, the greatest people ever who are kind all the time, never say, like, a hurt, hurtful word. I want to go to your church if that's the case. But um, I think that's probably, and I say that from my, my own perspective, that's probably the hardest for me. I tend to be uh, a people pleaser, and in fact, I took this, this is just kind of a warning for new pastor's wives or young pastor's wives, I took um, my role as a pastor's wife to mean uh, whatever I do needs to make everyone happy, because I twisted it a little bit, and I thought, 
if I'm going to be a good representative of who Jesus is, I need to be showing love, I need to be happy all the time, I need to be on top of things all the time, and I need to make sure that everybody's needs are always met. That did not go well, as you can well imagine. Um, and I remember one day, it kind of came to a breaking point, and I called my mother-in-law. Um, my mother-in-law is the greatest. I, I love her. Um, she's She is my husband's stepmom, and she married into the family when he was a teenager, and they have this really special sort of... Um, spiritual leadership, sort of, I, I don't know, I don't even know what you would call it, but they, they have this really great connection um, where she's always trying to encourage him, and I think uh, because of that, when when I come into the picture, she wants to make sure I'm on the same page, too. So she's, she's really wonderful, but she's the person in my life where I call her if I want hard truth. Uh, she's not going to water anything down, she's just going to give it to me straight. And I called her, and I was crying, and I was like, you know, if everybody's not happy... Uh, you know, but maybe they'll they'll walk away from they'll walk away from the church. They'll walk away from from God, and it'll be all my fault. And she just sat there for a minute. We're on the phone, and she goes, "Who do you think you are?" And I was like, "Well, I, what do you mean?" And she's like, "Is your name the Holy Spirit?" Because I don't think it is. And I was like, "Nah," you know. And, and so she gave me a good talking to then. And um, there's there's other times I. I had called her during hardship, and I, I would leave a voicemail. Like, I know you're busy, but when you're done, if you could call me. And she'd text me. She's always in meetings. She's a very busy lady. She'd text me and say, I'll call you, but I'm not going to coddle you. I'd text her back, I know I wouldn't call you if I needed coddling. Like, I know better than that. So she's, she's a great, great truth teller. But all that to say, that's not our job. It's not our job to make sure everybody in the church is happy. It's our job to make sure that God's glorified. Right? So whether that's in our home or whether that's in our church, we need to make sure that that's our motive and that's what we're doing. So in this particular passage, oh, I write myself little notes for like things, things to say. So I wrote the purpose is so that God is glorified. And then I said, not so that we get gold stars for parenting or pastor wifing. And I put that because um, I have a friend who is also, she was my boss and uh, we now still are, are in business together. But she teases me all the time because... I only do this with her. Don't think I do this with everybody. But I'll say, did you see the good job I did? I did a really good job, didn't I? And I'll just keep like, going back and forth with her. And she'll be like, do you want a gold star? And she'll like, you know, either text me a gold star or she'll put a gold star on my paper or whatever. She just teases me with it all the time. I started substitute teaching this year at the high school. And she goes, what are you going to do? You know, that's going to be that's going to be really hard. You're not going to get any of that affirmation that you need. And I was like, I'm going to buy myself some gold stars. And just if I do a good job, I'm just going to stick it right on my shirt. And I was like, if those high school kids ask me what that's about, I'll be like, well, I did a good job, even if you don't think so. So, just, But that's not our purpose. Our purpose is not to get the gold stars. Our purpose is to glorify God. So, so an example here is to make sure that you're using your giftedness, for sure, the gift that God's given you, but also your availability. So sometimes you have to do something that maybe you're not so great at, um, but you need to make sure that, that you're available to do that. However, one of my examples I'll give you is something that I do not do. There's a man in our church who is in his 90s who frequently, I want to say weekly, but I think that that's an exaggeration. So we'll just stick with frequently. Says to me, have you been praying about this, Tracy? Because I've been praying about it, and the Lord's really telling me that you need to start a choir at our church. My husband is a beautiful singer, very musical, Two of my kids are very musical. One is doing okay. Um, I make a joyful noise. I do not sing. I mean, I sing because I think we're commanded to sing. But you know how, like, um, for Mother's Day and stuff, you'll get those papers home from school, and it'll say, um, I love my mom because, and, and it'll say, like, she makes tacos or something like that. Um, and one of them was, I love it when my mom, and two of my kids on the same Mother's Day wrote, sings really loud and obnoxious. 
because I don't sing very good, but I, I will sing very loud and obnoxious at home just, just because. My son, my oldest, will come home from school and be like, thanks a lot, Mom, that song was stuck in my head all day. I'm like, well, that's, that's my gift to you. So, but I don't sing, I can't read music. If, I think, you musical people will know this, I'm pretty sure if you pick songs to sing in church, they have to be like in the same key or something like that. I think that matters. I don't know. So me starting a choir is ridiculous. I don't, and, and not to mention, whoops, not to mention, it's, there are so many musically gifted and talented people in our church who are using those gifts already. Why on earth would I be like, out of the way, guys, I've got this. Like, I don't got this. I'm not going to do that. So you definitely use your giftedness. Don't jump into something that you have no, no business getting into. Um, I, what I did tell our church when they interviewed um, my husband just a few years back, they were like, you know, of course, what do you think your gifts are? What do you think is the thing that, that you can contribute? And I was like, I'm not going to run anything. I'm terrible at that. Um, if you think like, oh, pastor's wife, head of the children's ministry, you will be so sorely disappointed. Like I can't, I can't do those things. I said, but I'll tell you what, you can boss me around all day long. Tell me what to do and I'll do it. Which, if you have bossy ladies at your church, they love that. So, like, if they're set up for a banquet or something, I'm like, what do you need? And they'll say, well, what do you want to do? I'm like, whatever you want. I've washed the floors. I've taken out the trash. I'll do all the gross stuff. I don't care. Just give me a specific and clear instruction. I got that. And so that works really well for me right now because they like there are some women that run some fantastic ministries at our church, and I just want to encourage them to keep on because I don't want to do that. So I will do whatever you tell me to do. Um, but if you can't do things like that, sometimes it's just the small things. Make eye contact and smile. That's a good one. And I'm, this is... This is more, I'm talking to the shy people, and I'm talking to maybe the people that can't get involved a lot at church. If you can't get involved a lot, just smile and say hi. That's so important. Learn their names. My husband's the pastor. I'm still whispering names in his ear. I did that. I haven't been to a convention in two years, and somebody was coming toward us, and I could see the look on Chad's face like, can't place you, can't place you. And I was like, we had to know what we're going to do. He's like, I'm like, he's in Indiana. He was like, okay, yeah. You know, like, so, you know, and, and that again, that's, I'll mention that later, but that's ways you can help out your husband, find his weakness and just kind of sneak in there and help out. But um, remember people's names, really listen. So if, if somebody from church tells you something, remember that thing. Um, if you say, what do you have going on this week? And they tell you, when they come back next week, hey, how did that thing go? If they know that you remembered their name and the thing that they told you, you guys are best friends for life. I mean, they just, you don't even have to do anything else. That's, that's important. I was talking to um, one of the, the newer widows at church. But she was really struggling because she said, I love coming to church. I love seeing my friends. But she said, coming to church is one of the hardest things I've had to do. And I said, why? And she said, because when I get there, everyone says, hi, how are you this morning? And she said, I want to say, terrible, my husband just died. But I can't say that because then they'll go, oh, no, she's not doing well. She's like, I'm doing fine. I'm just sad. And I thought, okay. And so I'm talking to her and I said, well, what if we just said, I'm so glad to see you this morning. She goes, oh, do that. She goes, because you don't know how hard it was for me to get up and get here. So if you just acknowledge that I made it, I would appreciate that. So not only did I do that, I told all the other ladies, stop saying, how are you? Like, don't say that anymore. There's a man at our church that has really, really bad arthritis. So if he makes it to church, he really put forth an effort to get there. And if you say to him, how are you today? I mean, his hands are 
like, he's in pain. And I'm sure he's going to say, oh, I'm fine. How are you? He's not fine. So say, Louie, I am so glad that you came to see us today. That's what you say. You listen to what your parishioners, is that how we say it in the Bible circles? Listen to what your church people say, and you respond in that way, letting them know, hey, I heard you, and I understood what you had to say. So how do we do all this? How do we minister in the place where God has us, whether it's easy or difficult, um, during the season that we do with the gifts that he has? What, with what power do we do that? So let's look at Colossians 2, 6 through 15. Okay. Oh, perfect. Okay. All right. Um, so <laughs> the little note I wrote to myself here was to just remind you guys, I grew up Baptist. So um, I do not know how to raise my hands. You will never see me raise my hands in worship. I don't know how to do it. In fact, it fascinates me when people raise their hands because I think, was there a word that they said? Is there like a note that was? How do you know to do that? Because it just, it doesn't come naturally for me, so I just, I don't do it. Sometimes I'll be very, I think um, Chris Bauer said last night, sometimes you get emotive. Sometimes I feel very emotive, and I'll put my hand right here, and I, I tell the ladies at church, it's so I can hold all those feelings in. They don't need to come out in public. That's not what Baptists do. we got to keep those feelings in. So that's about as good as it'll get. If you ever see me like this, you know I'm just, I'm just going to hold it all in. But I wrote that because Colossians chapter 2, 6 through 15, wants to, it makes me want to say amen really loud. So like, if I'm reading this out loud, I, at the end, I just want to be like, whoa, we got good job. So see to it that no one takes you captive. Hold on, I got real excited and didn't put my glasses on. Okay. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Um, which if you were here this morning, I feel really good about all the things. I felt really energetic after he spoke, and I was like, yes. So Verse 9, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised, and a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, but by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, flesh God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. That's who we're following. Okay? That's who we're about. So the context of this one. The people in the church of Colossae were trying to follow Christ and... Right? They have our, we have our Savior, and we're going to do these other things. Um, we, and I think we heard a lot of that. Um, well, they were really just twisting Scripture in the examples that we were hearing earlier this morning. But, but it's as if Christ was not enough. No, Christ is enough. Okay? He, um, we are in Christ. We are rooted in him. And it says, um, I lost it, but it says to give thanks. Um, oh, here. Oh, I skipped it. It's in verse six. I started in verse eight. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Okay, so all these things that I just read are true about who Christ is. We give thanks. One of the ways we give thanks, you can give it verbally. You can give it in action. You can give it in the way that you're living your life. Okay, so we're in Him. We're rooted in Him. We give thanks for that. Verse eight. Don't listen to what the world has to say about what you do. You do what Christ has for you. 
Don't look for those 10 easy steps. Um, it says in verse 10, and you've been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. And so many of my friends are reading these garbage books that are out in, like, if you if it is a Christian book in Target, don't buy it. Target is not going to give you biblical truth. It's Target. So get your book somewhere else. So, but they'll say, oh, I read this book and it was so encouraging. And I'll say with their scripture in it. Well, I think she mentioned a verse once. Throw that thing in the trash. That is not, no, we need this. Um, this is enough. Christ is enough. We don't want Christ and we're not going to listen to the world. You probably could find a book that says 10 easy steps to have, for how to be a great pastor's wife. Maybe it'll be helpful. Not necessary. It's not necessary. We have God's word. We have a relationship with him. You don't need that stuff. Um, verse 11, we weren't merely circumcised in the flesh like in the Old Testament. It's not this outward, this small little outward thing we do, but in Christ we're completely put off from our old self. He has made us new. He's strengthened us, right? Verse 13, we're raised with new life in him. Verse 14, he canceled our debt and nailed it to the cross. Verse 15, he triumphs over all authorities. If he is all this and can do all this, can't he help us in our daily life to balance what it is that we need to do? Right? Christ is all. Christ is sufficient. There is no room for anything but him. So if we're looking for Christ and there, there's no room to put the ant. He fills it all. So we are, we're serving him in the season that he has us, and we're not all in the same season. I think if we went around the room, even if I took um, pastor's wives that looked like they were in the same season, I promise you they're not, because all of us have different things going on in our private lives and different things going on in our church. Some of us are in good, healthy seasons at our church. Some of us are not sure if we've got jobs when we get back. That's just the way, of, the way that things go. There's no guarantee that it's going to be good or easy. So we serve him in the season that he has us with the gifts that he's given us and with the strength that he supplies. I wish I could say, young moms do this. You know, middle moms do this. Older pastor's wives do this. I, I can't. Um, but I can, I can say, you were created for this. Wherever you are, this is, this is where he wants you. This is what you're made for. This is your purpose. And you've got to bring glory to him, however you make that choice. So what does this look like in the practical sense? Okay, so back to those two camps. It's true, the church did hire your husband and not you. But if that's the case, make your husband valuable. Uh, don't take his ministry. Make him, well, valuable is really the only word I can come up with. Make, make him able to do his best at all times. You know, you married him. You know what he's capable of. You know who he can be that other people don't get to see. I always struggle when people are upset with him about something because I know what he meant. You know, like like something gets misunderstood or feelings get hurt or or he really does offend someone and I go, oh, but I know what he meant. I know his heart. Like I know, you know, and it's so hard for me because I want to jump in and I want to fight that battle for him. That's not my job. My job is to say, honey, I know what you meant. You just go make that right. And just know that I know that you didn't mean for that to happen. You know, and that's, that's being encouragement, things like that. Um, you don't necessarily have to run a ministry. I think so many people think um, that that's their job. If you're gifted in that, please do that. Every church needs that. Um, that's not my giftedness, but I'll tell you one thing I do for my husband. He's the nicest. If you ever get a chance to talk to my husband, he's so nice. He's just, he is kind. He is always thinking of others. But that's because I make sure he gets his nap. If he does not have his nap, he is, none of you want to be friends with him. He's not nice. Um, so just make sure that he's functioning on all cylinders. That's, 
That's what you signed up for. You signed up to help. You signed up to be a vital part of his ministry, and a vital part of his ministry is making sure that he has what he needs. And sometimes, for me, part of my ministry to him is to say, that calendar is ridiculous. You get back in that calendar, and you fix that, and he'll fight me on it. No, all these things are necessary. All these things are important. I have a good relationship with the secretary, and I'm like, Denise and I both will come after you. And I'm like, she can actually change that calendar. I'm like, we're going to get that taken care of. Like, oh, fine, fine. I'll move some things around. You know, because he like, he loves his job. He's not necessarily, I wouldn't say he's a workaholic. He would say he is. I would say he just really loves being a pastor. Um, and so sometimes we got to rein it in a little bit and say that is not physically possible. You do have to sleep sometimes. So um, make sure, uh, even if you're not a staff member, some of, some of you are, um, but if you're not, you are a church member and you better be an active one. Okay, you can't say to your husband, oh, I'm sorry you're discouraged that the church is not growing. Maybe I'll make it next week. <laughs> you make it every week. You make it every week and you're active. Um, you don't have to be the boss, be a helper, just serve the body, whether it be in speech or whether it be in service. If you are not in a position where actually doing a physical ministry is possible because of your schedule, because of you know, just things that are going on with your family, then you make sure that your words are your ministry. Um, I was thinking, uh, too, I was thinking, yeah, but what about those times when you do have to pick ministry over family? It happens sometimes. I think with us, one of the things we do is we just make sure that our kids understand, hey, guys, we got to do this first. This is important, and here's why. They might not get it. They might be mad. That's okay. But we told them the truth, um, and and... I mean, typical mom response, sometimes life's not fair, right? So so they aren't happy with the decision. Sometimes that's the way that it has to be. Um, make sure you're ministering at home. Don't give the family your leftovers. That's my only, that's my only suggestion for your house. Uh, at the same time, don't overdo it, right? Don't feel the pressure to do everything. I want you to minister at home, uh, but don't feel like you need a list there, too. We've got to make sure my kids are learning the verses. i got to make sure we're doing family worship. we got to do family devotions. we got to pray together every night, like, Hold on, know your family, know your rhythm, know what's needed and necessary. Do those things. Um, look at the family that God's given you, work with that, do what you do. We do family breakfasts. One of my kids, you can probably guess which one, hates it because it interferes with how long they sleep in the morning. But we do family breakfast. That, that works best for our schedule. That's the, the greatest amount of time that we can sit together. He says he hates it, but he would miss it if we didn't do family breakfast. So, um, but that's one of the things we do. I'm not saying that's the answer to all your family problems. I'm just saying the way my family functions, oops, sorry, um, that's what we do. We're also, my husband and I are available to talk with our kids anytime and they know it. My oldest likes to talk at 10.30 at night and like Chad and I are early to bed and, and we'll hear this little knock on the door and he'll just kind of peek in, you guys awake? And I'm thinking in my head, no. But at the same time, I'm thinking, my teenager wants to talk to me. I can't say no. You know, so, yeah, we're awake. And he'll just kind of lay down on the bed. Well, here's what's going on with me. And you're like, oh, this is going to go on forever. But it's, I love it, and I miss it when he doesn't do that. So we ha I have to make sure that I never say, no, I'm asleep, go away. Like, okay, what do you need? Let's talk about it. Um, another story about my, my oldest is uh, he was FaceTiming with a friend of his who's out of state, and it was, um, they were talking about, or he was talking about um, how hard it is to be a pastor's kid. He's just lamenting, like, oh, it's just the worst. Being a pastor's kid is so terrible. Just blah, blah, blah. Well, um, when he FaceTimes with his friends, we are always walking in and out. FaceTime, for those of you who don't know, it's video chat on your, so you can see the person. Okay, so... Um, we'll walk in and out, and we'll talk to the person that he's talking to. And um, Her name's Ella, and she was in my small group when we were up in Michigan. So I know her, and I, I said hi. She, you know, Charlie's just moaning and complaining about how terrible it is to be a pastor's kid. 
and she is from a very different um, background. I don't want to say very different background. Her home life is very different from our home life. So she, he's, you know, just whining and complaining about it, and she said, yeah, Charlie, it's so hard to have your parents be the same people they are at church to be that way at home, too. You know, just full of sarcasm. And I thought, what a great compliment. We're the same. We're the same at church as we are at home. We don't have, this is what we do at the house, this is what we do at home. He, um, I think it was Anna was saying yesterday that I've never heard my mom raise my voice, raise her voice. And I was like, oh, man. Like, <laughs> I have raised my voice. But uh, people at church know that I, I have not raised my voice at church, but they know that I do raise my voice. I don't hide that. I'm not like, oh, yeah, we've got this all under control. I'll get to Sunday school sometimes, and I'll be like, it was a morning, guys. It was one of those, like, everybody get to church now! You know, and then you get there, and you're like, okay, let's praise the Lord. So I, that happens at my house. So especially if we live right next door, it takes a minute to get across the street. I don't understand. So, um, but so those are, those are some of the things that we do to minister at our, at our house. Um, know your boundaries and constantly review them. One of the things that I really love to do that people think is weird, but they appreciate it when they need it, I love to help people with their budgets. I worked with a ministry in Michigan that would um, help people that were in financial difficulty sort of get on top of things. It wasn't a, it wasn't, they said it's not a hand out, it's a hand up. So we would help these people get out of their financial situation and be able to keep moving forward. Um, And so I love it. I love helping people with their budgets. Um, But one thing I tell people is don't write it and think that's it forever and ever. That's not how budgets work. They, they, they move and they change because your finances change and your life changes and you gotta, you gotta go back and you gotta review it again. Same with this. Your life is constantly changing. Your seasons are constantly changing. My mother-in-law called me um, on my 40th birthday. She calls on all our birthdays, and she sings happy birthday. And if we were related by blood, you would think that I got my singing from her. She's a terrible singer. <laughs> terrible. But she will sing happy birthday so loud. And she knows she's terrible, and she does it just to be funny. But she'll call early in the morning, and she'll sing happy birthday. And she said, congratulations, you're 40. And she said, that's the best year. And I said, why? She said, this is the year that you just stop caring what other people think. And I was like, do you promise? Like, I really want that to be this year. So your, your seasons are constantly changing. I remember um, somebody saying to me when my kids are toddlers and I'm just trying to figure out how to get where I need to get. I have a friend that just, she has a toddler and a baby, and she did this video um, online about this is just a reminder for those of you who have forgotten how hard it is to get just to the grocery store and she kind of like went through the day she's like this is why it's six o'clock at night and I'm not wearing pajamas but I haven't showered and it was just this reminder of like how you think you've got it together and you've got the baby ready and you go to the toddler and go back to the baby and the baby like the clothes are all a mess because the diaper leaked and so you go back to the baby and then you go back to the toddler and they painted the kitchen and you get that cleaned up and you go back to the baby and they're hungry and I was like, oh, I forgot about that. That, that was rough. And I remember those days thinking, this is going to last forever and the toddler years last for 20 years. They really do. I mean, that four-year period is 20 years and then they say, oh, when they get to school, it goes so fast. I have a senior. He was in kindergarten yesterday. I promise. I mean, that's just how it goes. Your, your life is just up and down and changes all the time. And I thought, um, I was talking to Chad. We were celebrating our anniversary, and we had gone out for breakfast. And I said, oh, I have kind of like this vision of what our life's going to look like when the kids are, are all out of the house because the two boys are gone, and, and I hope we do this, and I hope we do that. And he's like, have you learned nothing? It's like the life that we're living now is not the life that we envisioned, but it's so much better, so much better. God's plan always works out better than our plan. So just know who it is that you worship. 
Know who it is, that, who you're bringing glory to. Make sure that um, as you're ministering that you remember that you are not where you are by accident. Your life is very intentional no matter what season you're in. Um, and you have been gifted and strengthened uh, by our Lord to do those things. So thank you very much.